It's really good to see you all here today, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and a particularly warm welcome to those of you joining us online. Now, one of my many bad parenting moments was when I was uh, in Loblaws with our middle daughter, Kate, who would have been about four. Um, Charlie would have been about two, Emma would have been six, and after trying to decide between moose tracks and dulce de leche, is it really a choice? I suddenly realized with that ice cold lump of terror instantly forming in my stomach that Kate was nowhere to be seen. I'd been distracted for like all of seven seconds, but she was nowhere to be found on either end of that long aisle. Emma helpfully claimed to have seen nothing and Charlie was sucking her thumb. And with all decorum thrown to the wind and with visions of roaming bands of pedophiles running in through my mind, I madly dashed to the checkout uh, registers and started screaming at anyone who would listen that they needed to lock down that store because Kate was gone. Lockdown Loblaws at Young and York Mills they did. And in the longest eight minutes of my life, 480 seconds to be precise, we searched for our middle daughter. Kate, of course, was found, having sweetly stuffed herself into a big a display stack of toilet paper, thinking that she had single-handedly invented the game of hide-and-seek just for my pleasure. I wasn't lost, mummy, she said indignantly, as I reproached her while smothering her with kisses. I was making you look for me because you love me. Kate was so not concerned, at least not in that few minutes, and she had no self-perception at all of being lost. However, from my perspective, she was most definitely lost and needed to be found urgently. We're nearing the end of our summer teaching series looking at the parables of Jesus, uh, pithy stories with uh, undetonated spiritual dynamite for our daily lives. And today we get a two-for-one punch. Two stories, a lost sheep and a lost coin. Two stories that draw an arresting image of a Jesus who loves losers. A Jesus who seems to love people who were lost, get lost, are lost, lose themselves, lose track of where they are, lose focus, lose love, lose, 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 all of them losers. And losers who more often than not don't even realize that they're lost. I bet that none of you put loser on your LinkedIn or Instagram bio. And uh, only time I recently ever thought that I was lost was when I'd run out of data uh, to use the Waze app. How might actually being a loser make us a winner? And how might being lost be the very best thing that you've found in a long time? Let's unpack these parables together and see what Jesus has in store for you. Now our passage that uh, Rahim read for us this morning uh, is recorded by a physician named Luke, and he opens up by letting the reader know the tax collectors who were despised by the Jews for collecting money for Rome um, and sinners 
primarily social outcasts, were coming to hear Jesus speak, and that the Pharisees and scribes, uh, religious leaders like myself and, and Bishop Stephen, winners all, were grumbling because Jesus was hanging out with such losers. This man welcomes outcasts, they murmur, and even eats with them. And then Luke completes his introduction by telling us, so Jesus told us this parable. In effect, Luke is saying, here is Jesus throwing the salt of lostness in the eyes of those who were so preoccupied with their own sweetness. And knowing that he's talking to legally trained minds, Jesus presents two hypothetical cases, with the first being about a man who has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. Jesus then asks, anticipating an affirmative response, won't the man leave the 99 and go and seek the lost? Now, for the keen observers here this morning, it needs to be said that this parable cannot be interpreted as, as an effective strategy for running a sheep farm because the most likely result of a single shepherd going off to find one sheep is actually 99 more lost sheep. And tempting though it definitely was, I didn't abandon Emma and Charlie when I went off madly looking for Kate. The point seems to be, scholars have noted, that even if all 100 sheep were to get lost, it wouldn't really be a problem for this strangely good shepherd, because it seems to be in the character of this shepherd to invest his time in searching for losers, not making a quick buck off feeding the unstrayed, which is, if you think about it, actually a pretty decent business strategy, because a world full of losers is frankly the only world that there is. Because if this good shepherd is gonna corner the market on lostness, he'll do just fine. The 99 persons who need no repentance that Luke references, it's a figure of speech because there has never been and never will be such a person, even though Donald Trump has gone on record claiming that he has nothing to ever ask forgiveness for. Being lost is not really the issue, as we'll see, because the issue is whether or not we know we are lost. Now, even if you're going to struggle with this idea of being a loser, of, of being lost, the rest of the parable is appealing because it's so clearly about joy and celebration, complete with the shepherd putting the lost sheep on his shoulders, coming back to the house and throwing a party for a sheep, saying, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. And in case you weren't paying attention, Jesus then drives the point home. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And if the whole pastoral scene is too sleepy for you, Jesus serves up a second, more urban hypothetical. What woman if she's lost 10 coins? With the same implication that this woman will hunt vigorously for her lost coin and then rejoices when she's found it. So far... So fairly straightforward. But this is where it gets interesting. Because in our diverse and secular city, uh, one of the things that people know about Jesus of Nazareth, if they know anything, is that he liked to hang out with sinners, with outcasts, with losers. 
And that is seen as one of his most appealing qualities. However, it's really easy to get tripped up here and think, therefore, that the world is neatly divided into good and bad people. And isn't it nice that Jesus hangs out with the bad people too? The Christian faith does not divide the world into the good and the bad, the moral and the immoral. The early Christian writer Paul is really blunt. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3. This is not a parable about goodness or the lack thereof. It's a parable about lostness. And of course, a particular individual or a family or even a whole a society can get trapped in the tendrils of evil and perpetrate suffering, a casual cruelty or lazy indifference, of course. But we can also be generally upstanding citizens. We can cast our vote on September 20th, uh, being mindful of the environment. We can uh, make appropriate uh, social media posts decrying this or that injustice. We can feed our children vegetables and try and get our teens off of TikTok. We can be good and still be desperately lost at the same time. We can be successful in our career and still have little direction or sense of meaning. We can be holding it all together for the family and still be lost in the grip of despair or grief. We can be a faithful spouse and lost in a loveless marriage. We can be so busy and productive that we're lost to beauty and wonder. We can be financially secure and lost in greed and anxiety. This is not a parable about goodness, but about lostness. And we are the ones who were lost. We are the losers who day in and day out lose our central focus on what God wants to give us. And instead, myself included, fill our lives with God's substitutes. Friends, family, careers, cottages, all good things, mind you, but not what God wants to give us at the center of our lives. What is that? And how might being lost be the very best thing we found in a long time? Now, if you've been around church much in your life, uh, you might now be waiting for the repentance shoe to drop, for that call to repent, to turn from those things that draw us away from God's love. And let me be clear, repentance, turning away from ourselves and all that would destroy us and turning towards God's love in Jesus Christ, it is an essential part of the Christian life and it is not to be trivialized. But it has to be noted that in these two parables, there is no record of either the lost sheep or the lost coin doing any repenting. The success of these two rescue operations is entirely due to the tenacity and skill of that woman and the shepherd. The emphasis in both parables is not so much on repentance, although it is of course mentioned, but it's rather on the character of God represented here, I love it, by a tenacious woman and a hardworking shepherd. God seems to love losers like a lot and will go to any lengths to find them and bring them home. Francis Thompson, well, he was an obvious loser. He was rejected to become a Catholic priest. He flunked out of medical school. He was even kicked out of the army uh, after only a few days and eventually uh, became an opium addict. But through many twists and turns, God found him and uh, 
Thompson wrote a famous poem uh, describing that experience. It's called The Hound of Heaven. Uh, Here's an excerpt. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and and in the midst of tears I hid from him. Still with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy came on the following feet and a voice above their beat, not shelters thee who will not shelter me. And finally the fox was treed and the bark of the hound could be heard all over England. God is the hound of heaven, unrelentingly searching us out. And the fact that we may not think we are lost, like my Kate, doesn't seem to bother God one little bit because God loves losers, like a lot. Why is being lost the best thing you'll ever find? Because it seems that lostness is the only ticket we need to gain admittance to the feast of God. What do I mean? Well, think about this. A lost sheep, for all intents and purposes, is a dead sheep. If it stays lost, it's almost certainly going to die. And a lost coin is a useless and dead asset. You can't spend it, you can't invest it. Lostness really equals death, which is why God needs to take the initiative to do the rescuing. St. Paul again, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing in these parables that the sheep or the coin does to get brought to the feast of God. All they do is be lost. It's not the lostness or their deadness or even their repentance that brings joy. It is God and God alone who gives life. There's only the gracious and unrelenting pursuit of the hound of heaven to find the lost and raise the dead. This is wonderful amazing, fantastic news. Because if I thought I had to get my act together before I could enjoy what God wants to put at the center of my life, it would be so unutterably soul-crushing. And yet, yet we find this news of a gracious God, a, a gracious God who loves losers. We find this so hard to follow because we tend to think that left to our own devices, we could find our own life. We could find our own way. But it is not how Jesus sees the world. American writer Robert Ferrer Capon puts it like this. Jesus saves losers and only losers. He raises the dead and only the dead. And he rejoices more over the last, the least, and the little than over all the winners in the world. That alone is what this losing race of ours needs to hear, even though it can't stand the thought of it. The gracious character of God, when all we did to deserve such a new life and celebration was staying lost, this character of God is a God of grace and mercy, the the hound of heaven who will go to hell and back to find us. This is what needs to be at the center of our lives. This is how being lost is the best thing we will ever find. Let me quickly end by showing how liberating this can be, whether you're spiritually searching or already a disciple of Jesus. Because God finds us in the desert of death and not in the spa of self-improvement, because God's character is gracious, two quick things. One, 
I can be lost and not sure where I'm going or what my long range plans are. A feeling which I have to tell you personally has been incredibly heightened during this pandemic. People ask me what my long range plan is for St. Paul's. I'm like, I don't know. But I do know that no matter how much of a mess I do end up making of things, my fears and failings, they're gonna get dropped down the black hole of the death of Jesus and remembered no more. It's fantastic. And it means my life doesn't need to be lived in the grip of guilt and uh, discouragement too. I'm also strengthened to take prayerful risks and make sacrifices for others, financially, for example, because I don't need to ever worry about hitting rock bottom and being left there. That woman, she looked in every dark and dirty corner of that house to find her coin, which means we can be generous with ours. Today, whether you're new or a longtime member, today all we need to do is sit in our lostness, knowing that the hound of heaven will not stop until we're found. This is the house of lostness and foundness. Thanks be to God. Amen.